We're streaming live on Facebook Live as the Michelle Mission celebrates episode 199. Our ultimate episode. <laughs> yes. As we have finally reached the, the, the crest of 200. And we had to do it in style. So we're doing it on Facebook Live for you in the Michelle Mission Facebook group. As well as we are reviewing Spike Lee's directorial debut, Cheese Gotta Have It. Yes. From 1986. So uh, this is one of the seminal movies of Black cinema. And it, only, it was only right that we do it on such an auspicious occasion and give it such uh, 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 gravitas as doing it here <laughs> on Facebook Live. Yes. Um, and, and another reason why we're doing it is because Vince and I are in separate places. Yes, we are. Separate locations because we are um, both... Social distancing. Yes, it's social distancing. Um, we are definitely sheltering in place, um, you know, as we know all of you are in regards to what's going on in the world. So the Michelle Mission, again as we mentioned last week, trying to do our part to give you a little something, something to let you know that, uh, hey, you know, we're, we're giving you something else to, to check out besides CNN and Fox News and all the craziness that's going on. Um, D-Nice. Yes, D-Nice. Is, is he still, he's not still DJing, is he? I, I, just, I, I just assume this is just what D-Nice does now. Right. He's just always spinning. Exactly. Um, so that's why, that's why we're here as you we're on Facebook live, which means that you can be chatting with us. Uh, we, we got one chat, someone saying that they're happy. They're still awake. Hey, how you doing? Hey, we're also happy you're awake. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you're supposed to be asleep. Yes. Yes. Unless you're supposed to be asleep or at work. Right. I'm happy that you're awake joining us. Yes. For our review of She's Gotta Have It. Um, I, sometimes when we talk about movies, you know, and we're going to get to like, you know, we always do. We follow the news and reviews and, and stuff like that. Feedback that we've gotten from people. Sure. Um, but one thing, because this is such a seminal movie, uh, and, and if, I think it's something that we may not cover because our review t- tends to be more an actual review of the film. I was curious, Vince, if you remember the first time you saw She's Gotta Have It. You know, it's funny. I was thinking, and I don't, because I'm 90% sure I saw it on television. Really? Because, you know, it came out in 86. Right. I know I didn't see it in the movies. Okay. Like, I know I didn't see it in the movies. I'm thinking if it came to Baltimore, it came to one of the smaller film houses. Okay. That I didn't really get to when I was, you know, because like 86, I was 15 for most of the year. (laughs) Okay. You know, I turned 16 and I, and certainly I wasn't venturing into the city to one of the art houses. But the other thing is, I'm almost sure that I saw it on like PBS or something. Oh, really? And they showed it with his student film. 
Joe's Barbershop. Mm-hmm. I think it's called Joe's Barbershop. We cut heads. Mm-hmm. But I do remember, and, and we'll talk about this much, much more. I had never seen anything like this before in my life. Yeah, I remember seeing this um, at an art house here in Philadelphia um, mm-hmm. on, on the big screen. And I remember watching it and it being struck that, you know, I'd heard the buzz about the film. Sure, sure. But I don't think that I had seen like a review or seen like a clip of the movie. So I just heard buzz about this film and seen like the poster, like maybe here or there. You know, because this is way before the days of social media. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and the internet. So when it came on, I was at first immediately surprised. Like, I didn't know it was going to be black and white. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Is this an old movie? Is this a movie that, like, you know, has been found or something like that? Um, and then as I'm getting into it, I realized that it wasn't. And I just... I was just struck by how, like you just said, how different this film really felt from anything else that I had seen at that at that point. Um, I don't think I I wasn't a classic movie guy at that at that juncture yet, but I've okay. seen black and white movies. Um, but this still just had a different feel. This just felt uh, it felt old, timeless, and new all at the same time. Okay. It was dope. Okay, you know, you. We're, all right, so we're not going to do it yet, oh, though, right? We're not doing our review. We're not going to do it. That's just a little taste. It's just a little taste, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. But as always, like, we we do want to keep this, you know, keep, you know, the, the wheels where they're supposed to be. Hey, wheels on the bus. Most definitely. Go round and round. <laughs> so we do have emails from some of our fans, and we got an email from Dark Kent. Hey, Dark Kent. Bruhs, good looking out on keeping us sane with the steady stream of content, especially this past one, Fear of a Black Hat. Oh, no, no, no problem. It's our pleasure. The best movie bracket, good initiative, poor execution. The problem, as I see it, is the films weren't seated. That's why you won't see Duke play Kentucky on the first day during the NCAA tourney. I don't know what that means. No, you, Vince, who knows nothing of sports, would not know what that means. Um, that's why you won't see Duke play Kentucky on the first day of the NCAA tourney. Also, would probably make for fairer matchups if you group them by genre, comedy, drama, crime, action, you know, such and such. So I guess I have something to work on while sheltering in place, but that's my tangent to climb. As far as the episode's main topic, I remember dragging a bachelorette du jour. (laughs) I've never heard them call that before. (laughs) That's the lady of the day. (laughs) I remember dragging. (laughs) See, see, that's why we can't have nice things. I (laughs) I remember dragging a bachelorette du jour to a local mall multiplex on Fear of a Black Hat's opening weekend, ready to cast aspersions and whispered sarcastic witticisms into her ear as it reeled. For those of you playing along at home, you'll remember Fear of a Black Hat came out about a year after, although it debuted at Sundance a few months before, whatever it was, Chris Rock, Nelson George, and Tamara Davis 
were trying to say with CB4. I oh, wow. I didn't know they, they came out that close to one another. I'd I didn't really came out that close. I didn't realize it was like a year apart, but yeah, okay. Yeah, but it makes sense. Uh, he continues, I couldn't figure it out, but I did chuckle out loud when Alan Payne's character went militant and blessed us with the I'm Black music video. Still That's right. Me. Fear of a Black Hat was creatively superior to CB4. The humor, execution, and music all had hip-hop DNA embedded. I thought then that if the cast were switched, Fear would have had better traction in Black pop culture. Even if Rusty and and them figured out a way to inject the Murphy menace of Charlie Murphy, rest in peace, into fear. It's no doubt a black classic. I guess settling for a cult classic isn't a bad way to go, but still. And he offers a last thought. Lorenz Tate yes. should start prepping for a Lifetime Achievement Award from somebody's black award show, no. The man's been bringing it since the late 80s. Here his run Here's his run from the early 90s until now. Menace to Society, The Inkwell, Presidents, Love Jones, Why Do Fools Fall in Love? His pivot into TV roles has been no less more hit than miss. His run on Power alone seems worthy of a star's spinoff. The audio drama him and Larry Fishburne put out, Brownsville, is big. Oh, yeah, yeah. Friend of mine was a big fan of that. More than enough work to get him on the Hall of Fame ballot. Discuss amongst yourselves. Again, thanks for being keeping us educated, entertained, and enlightened. And know that you're you've also inspired. I'm spending this COVID-19 vacay putting together a fiendish plot to enter the podverse. <laughs> Excellent. Peace, love, soap, and water. That's how we'll beat this pandemic menace to society. Dark right. Kent. Well, thank you, Dark Kent. Yeah. And let us know when you get that podcast off the ground. Please, please do. Um, his 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 comments about CB4 and about them switching the cast. Um, that's not a bad idea. The only thing is, is that I think that. Well, I do think that fear of the, like, like I said, I've seen CB4 not too not too long ago, so I do think that fear of a black hat is superior to CB4. Okay, as a film, um, but one of the problems with both of the films are the leads, and the CB4 is Chris Rock. Yes, and this one is Rusty Cundiff. And I think they may be pretty much a wash, even though, yeah, I think they may be pretty much a wash. I don't know if I could see Rusty playing Chris's role in CB4 or the other way around. Right, right. If I have to pick, I'm going to pick Rusty Kandif. Probably so. He probably Chris Rock, like in, in many of his films, looks like he's uncomfortable in CB4. Mm-hmm. Like, he actually looks like he wishes he could be doing something else. Yeah, yeah. I think he, and probably what that is, is being up on stage, being a stand-up. Which right, is, right, exactly. Exactly. You know what I mean? Um, but Dark Kent's comments about Lorenz Tate, that's, that's not bad. Hey, so, he's, look, he's a black treasure. He's an African-American treasure. He really he is. is. 
He is. Um, I think what hurts him a little bit is that he is, him and Blair Underwood are literally the definition of black don't crack. Oh, yeah. Like, they look the they look like they've been dipped in amber. They're still the same. And I think that keeps you from being considered for more nuanced roles or more character roles. Right. Well, the funny thing is, the last thing I really saw Lorenz Tate in that I, you know, said, oh, it's Lorenz Tate was in um, Girls Trip. That's right. That's right. Where it was distracting because he looked so much younger mm-hmm. than all of these women that were supposed to be his contemporaries. Right, because he's supposed to be the contemporary of Regina Hall. Uh, right. Primarily because but they're all the same age. He might be a little older than one or two of them. Well, I don't, I don't know. like Peter Pan. I don't know, because Queen Latifah, and, you know, it was celebrated on the internet, has recently turned, I think, 50. Yeah. Is Lorenz Tate 50? I mean, he's got to be in his late 40s oh. if, he's, if he's not 50 yet. If Lorenz Tate is 50 years old, I am going to shut this live stream down. I mean... You're looking it up. I see you looking it up. Right, right, right. Just look real quick. Lorenz Tate. Let me see. Well, I mean, 75. Wow. That's, that's, that's like 50. Yeah, right. No, 75. I mean, he's 40. So, yeah, so he's in his 40s. Wow. Wow. God bless him. Oh, yeah. I do like Lorenz Tate. I, oh, yeah, I, he's the best. I almost liked him. And I, I can't think of actually anything. No, I can only think of one thing that I didn't like Lorenz Tate in. And I think it's because Lorenz Tate knew, like, eh, this, this, this ain't working out. Right. You know what movie that was? I don't. Um, I'm pretty sure he was in Waterworld. I don't think he was in. Was he in Waterworld? Was he in Waterworld? He was in a Kevin. Con- I think it was a sake. Kevin Con- in the world movie. Do you pull out Waterworld? I think he was in Waterworld. He was not in Waterworld. Then he was in. Did Kevin Costner do like some Pony Express type of movie? You know what? You're talking about the Postman. That's it. The Postman. You're talking about the Postman. Postman. That's what it was. That's what it was. That's what it was. Wait a minute. Yeah, he was in the Postman. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. And I think he was like. Eh. The category was Kevin Costner, bad science fiction movies. <laughs> but then I have an asterisk. I actually think Waterworld is not as bad as people say. Oh, Waterworld is not good, Vince. But it's not as terrible as people say. Like, they spent so much money on it that it ended up being one of these kind of classic Hollywood horror stories right right but that's just because they spent all the money on it you know with the cameras yeah and the water right but if you kind of take the if you kind of even it out just from the um budget it's all right it's all right it's all right water world is all right you know what film i finally sat through vince you'll appreciate this this People is open to <laughs> He's going to keep saying that until you're right. Right, right. <laughs> One day, you'll be right. Right. Would you sit through? Blade Runner. 
the first, the original Blade Runner. Oh, that's right. You oh, and see now you're about to say something crazy about Blade Runner and throw all my energy off. I watched Blade Runner: The Final Cut, which is on Netflix. Yes, which is the only cut that Ridley Scott. Yes, um, like he edited it. This was right. his, his cut. Did they update the effects? No, I, at okay. least I can tell. Okay, good. What'd you think? It's not a bad movie. Man, I love you know I love Blade Runner. I you know I'm a Blade Runner. Runner person. Well, I always I always could appreciate the aesthetic of the film. No, 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 I absolutely. Could. And I could always appreciate what the story is trying to tell. It's just that all the other versions that I saw always just put me to sleep. Two questions. There's no voiceover in no the final voiceover. cut, correct? No voiceover at all. And he has the dream about the unicorn. Yes, he does have the okay. dream about the unicorn. All yeah. right. That's what I always tell you. You have to watch one of the versions without the voiceover. And Decker has to have the dream about the unicorn. Yes. I don't understand why that is germane to the story. I I'm glad you asked. The reason it's important I really that don't. Decker has the dream about the unicorn okay. is so that when my man leaves the origami at the end of the movie. Yes. With, of the unicorn. Yes. The implication is that he knows what Decker dreams about. Because Decker has implanted memories because Deckard is a replicant. But how, well, why is it implied that that dude played by Edward James almost? Right, right. Why, why is it significant that we get the hint that he knows what Decker is dream dreaming about? Because if he, does he mention, maybe I missed it. Does he mention that he sees people's dreams or something? No, 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 no. There's, there's the whole, there's the whole theme of the replicants have implanted memories, right, right. And they don't, they're not who they think they are, right. And 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 the film really pussyfoots around with whether or not Decker is a replicant, right. Like they do all this stuff where you know the the, the replicants collect photographs and they collect all that stuff. And then they show Decker collecting them. Yes. And this, that, and the other. Edward James almost character represents someone, this swarthy um, foreigner who always knows more than he's letting on. Mm -hmm. So him having the unicorn at the end, the implication is that A, he knows that Decker is a replicant. B, he knows Decker is a replicant because he's had access to the files. Okay. That tell, you know, about, which is why. Who was a replicant or not, right? C, he knows what Decker would have been dreaming about. Mm. Okay. All In right. the theatrical cut, they cut out the, the, the unicorn dream. Oh. So when he leaves the unicorn, it's just kind of mysterious. Well, right, because then the only, the only significance of him leaving the unicorn then would just be the unicorn. Him leaving that origami lets you know that dude was in. Right, that he knew that Decker and Rachel were in there. Right. But this way, he knows they're in there, but he also knows what Decker's been dreaming about. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So now, let me ask you, do I now need to see Blade Runner 2049? How much did you enjoy Blade Runner? I mean, I thought it was good. I, it's not like it wasn't like the second coming for me. I think the I think the second one's good. 
I think it's very respectful of Blade Runner. Right. I think the aesthetics are really well done. I, I think the acting is like I like it. Okay. It's long. The second one. Yeah, the second one's long. But I enjoy it. But the second one is Ridley Scott. Like that's him for Oh yeah, long. absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, maybe you know what I mean I've got time on my hands. Yeah. So in fact, yes, I want you to watch it and then tell me what you think. All right. I'll check All it right. out. I will check it out. Just for you, Vince. You're so kind. Well, that's what I do. Um, (laughs) uh, Thank you for uh, everyone that is chiming in um, on Facebook. Uh, Someone has let us know that Lethal Weapon 2 is coming to Netflix in April, Vince. And I'll be watching it. I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. I don't have diplomatic immunity from seeing it. (laughs) We also want to thank people who have left Facebook, I mean, excuse me, Apple podcast reviews for us. Yes. As you know, at the the top of every one of our shows, we ask people to leave us a five-star rating and a review. And Larry3758 left us a review. Um, I'm very new to this podcast. I may be a bit OCD because I'm starting from the very beginning. I appreciate the discussions regarding what is a Black film and the variety of movies I've seen thus far. I don't always agree with you guys' assessment, especially especially about Straight Outta Compton. (laughs) I know I'm very biased being that I was born and raised there. I am learning so much about Black films and feel that the exposure is enriching not only my cinematic education, but my African-American education as well. Oh, well, thank you, Larry, and welcome. Thank you, Larry. Welcome. Welcome to the uh, to the mission. Um, and he's starting at the beginning, so... Uh, so he'll hear this in like three years. In three years. <laughs> we should say something crazy about him. No, we won't. Oh, no, not at all. Not we're going, at all. We want to be kind to all of our missionaries. Hey, Vince, did you see that in the Michelle Mission Facebook group, we have crossed 500 members. Isn't that crazy? That is insane. Isn't that crazy? I don't understand that, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it, it is it's it's humbling. humbling. It is humbling. Wow. Wow. We're not even together and we said it together. I know. <laughs> Well-oiled machine. That's what we, that's what we are. Yeah. That's what we are. But yes, yeah, thank there, you. We appreciate everyone and 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 love it. We do. We do. Um, I I can't say enough about that. Uh, it's it's like crazy that people want to get together once a week to listen to us talk about films and um, you know, and that they have built this community um, around support of the show. It is, it is, it is humbling. It is flattering. It is very appreciative. And it makes me and Vince. um, It's one of the reasons that we get, look forward to getting together every week and doing the show, not just to bug with one another. Yes. So just because we just want to keep doing this for y'all. So yes. Yes. So thank you, everyone. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much. Speaking of doing it for all of you, ladies and gentlemen, all of you that are fans of the Michelle Mission, but also fans of the world of Star Trek. Yeah. Give you a little piece of news. 
<laughs> and I are getting together tomorrow. Yes. And we are going to do our, we're going to record our review of Star Trek Picard. Yes. And then we will have that available on the Michelle Mission stream on Thursday morning. Okay. So look forward to that on Thursday morning in your stream. It'll be a Spock adjacent episode as we review Star Trek Picard. And we'll, we've already got email about the show and we haven't even done the review yet. Right, right. George Pomona, maybe one of the world's biggest Star Trek fans, certainly one of the biggest Star Trek fans that I know, has already Absolutely. shared his thoughts on the on the show with us. So we will share them with the missionaries. Absolutely. Our Trekkie missionaries. Our Trekker missionaries, yes. Yes. All right. Um, <laughs> what? I don't know if you're looking at the comments. Oh, Somebody said yes, Picard. <laughs> Somebody's yes. very happy. Yes, yes. That we're finally kidding. <laughs> now I feel bad. <laughs> well, you should, because it has been you, Vince. It yes, yes. Me. Yes, we're not pointing fingers, but if someone pointed a finger at me, Lynn would start whistling. <laughs> I sure enough would. Yipper. Yipper. Okay. Well, um, hey, what's up? Somebody's hit me up. If you have questions, comments in the Facebook chat, please lob them at us. We're going to be starting our review in a couple of moments. Um, but before we do, I do, I, I have an, one other quick question I want to ask you, Vince. Um, yes. In regards to, you know, We've been here, you know, sheltering in place. We we took time this past Saturday to, to go on the scenario. Yeah, oh yeah. Show. Shout out, shout out to the scenario. Yeah, shout out to Van Everett and Carla and all the crew down there uh, in Nashville. Thank you so much for having us on the show. Um, and we really got a week now that we've got this whole video thing worked out. Yeah, we've got to get them on the show. Yeah, absolutely. We've got to get them on the show. You know, we were always saying, like, you know, we prefer to do shows live with people. Yeah. But who knows when we're going to be able to be live <laughs> um, in, 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 the, in, uh, in the near future. So, but that Nashville is something, a connection we definitely want to make for Van Everett and Carla to get them on the show. Yeah. But um, so, but we were talking about things that people could do. Mm -hmm. You know, like if people have been uh, checking out movies and television and everything. And one of the things that we talked, we we uh, like latched on to was following your favorite filmmaker and catching up on their films. Yes. You know I mean? um, which I thought was like a really cool idea. A really, yeah. really cool idea. We name checked, of course, Spike Lee and John Singleton and Cassie Lemons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. On the scenario. Um, radio show, but I, I was curious, Vince, if there was a filmmaker, and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a black filmmaker. It could be sure. just you know, uh, if there, if you were to have a filmmaker that you would want to suggest to people that um, maybe they might want to look at their films, and maybe it might even be cool if it's not a black filmmaker for in this group that is built around a celebration of black films 
there are other filmmakers who have some very, you know, uh, classic and inspirational and diverse filmographies that people may want to follow. Is there anything yes. you might, one that you might suggest to people? Um, just, just, and we mentioned him very uh, briefly. Um, Bong Joon Ho. Okay. okay. Yeah, Bong Joon Ho, the the um, Korean filmmaker who we're all talking about because of Parasite. Mm-hmm. But but he's somebody that I like because he plays around with genre. I was just trying to pull up his um, filmography real quick because, of course, we go to um, Snowpiercer. I know you and I are both yeah. fans of Snowpiercer, but Akja, which was the film he did on um, Netflix. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which was about a, a which was about a um a genetically modified pig, basically. Right. The host, which was a fantastic monster movie. Yeah, see, that looks scary. The host actually isn't that scary. Really? Yeah, and a lot of these movies kind of connect to the parasite or, okay. or to parasite because he has in this great social commentary okay kind of baked in okay. about the sort of the class issues that are fantastic um there was something else that he made that i really liked that now i can't um think of i've not seen memories of murder but i've heard people say that that's good i've heard about i've heard people say good stuff about that one as well yeah yeah see this now would be the time like you said his name is on everybody's lips so now will be the time to uh check out a lot of his films um someone mentioned that they want to see us do the the films of john sales um honey dripper and brother from another planet we haven't done honey dripper we did do brother from another planet we did we did it's in the archives look look for that in the archives we did do that and that was a film that i liked that was a film that I liked too. No, I the, the narrative oh. is that I don't like films. Right, right, right. No, you like films. I like most of these films, actually. Most is very strong. No, it's not, Vince. Okay, we'll go. We're gonna go with most. Okay, most. What would you say the percentage of? I think it's about sixty forty. You think I've liked about sixty percent of them? No, I think you've liked about forty percent. <laughs> Frankly, that's not true. I'm just saying. Vince at two. Vincent. Look, man. It, anyway. It's it's we'll, we'll have to uh, talk to um. Who was it that just 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 gave us the Apple review that started from the very beginning? Larry three seven five. We'll have to talk to Larry and see what Larry like like we should tell Larry to start keeping score since he started at the very beginning. Yeah, well, it's even going straight out of Compton and. Right. My batting average is not looking good right now. No, it's not. <laughs> if I could recommend a filmmaker for people to, to check out. Yes. Who would you recommend? And I'm going to, I'm going to go in the archives. I'm going to go classic, classic uh, Hollywood. Okay. And that are, is the films of Billy Wilder. Billy, okay. Billy Wilder is probably one of my, if not my, favorite director of all time. Okay. And if you want to see his films, I could name 
three films, certified classic. And, and I mean certified classic. You look at in any listing of the top 100 films of all time, all three of these films are there. Let's get them. Number one. Number one, Sunset Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard, great film. William Holden, um, great, great film. Narrated by a dead guy, believe it or not. Yes. Number two. Number two. Stalag 17. Oh, I always forget he directed that. That's right. Also, William Holden, great war movie. Okay. Kind of like a dark comedy. Yeah, oh yeah. And loosely, very loosely, the inspiration for Hogan's Heroes. Right. Very loosely. Right. Not as many funny Nazis. <laughs> None. <laughs> and number one, and, and this is actually would be number one, and this is my favorite Billy Wilder movie. The Apartment. Jack Lemon, Shirley MacLaine, Fred McMurray as a villain. Yeah. Great, great movie, drama, comedy, love story. Fantastic. Just a sweetheart of a movie. It's the movie that made me fall in love with Shirley MacLaine. Okay. And Jack Lemmon has always been one of my favorite actors. Okay. The, the films, that, and, and there are tons of other Billy Wilder films you could go to. Um, I can go to the fortune cookie with Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau. I mean, it, he, he, the man does no wrong. Great filmmaker. Did he direct some like it hot? Billy Wilder directed something like it hot. There you Which go. Is where I thought you were going to go. There you go. There you I, I, look something like it hot. Maybe it's easily in the top 10, my top 10 of favorite movies of all time. Yeah. I'm and a I, Billy Wilder. Three that people don't go to. Would you say? Yeah, I'm a novice, so I was just going to say something like it hot. Okay, but I'll see. I was, I was giving you a deeper cut. Oh, I, I know, I know. Give you a deeper cut. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Um. <laughs> people keep riding me. I'm looking at this Facebook chat. The good thing about. See, I'm not looking at this on Facebook. I'm looking at it in the like the the um the program that I'm looking at. Right. So I don't know who all of these people I know are. just as Facebook users. Facebook users. <laughs> so which is great. Because if I saw their names, <laughs> it'd be insane. On the list. <laughs> exactly. <D. laughs> Lynn has a Nixon enemies list over there. <laughs> the Michelle tapes. Right. It's going to be some tapes of you talking about the Irish. Oh, uh, no. Y'all don't want the Michelle tapes, ladies and gentlemen. It's not me. It's not me on the tapes. It's, it's little Santa Vincent right there. That's who you don't want. That's who every time he comes over, we ain't recording, right? <laughs> That's how you know I'm about to come with the heat. <laughs> if I say, Lynn, we're not recording. <laughs> let me tell you something. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. <laughs> Enough tomfoolery. Yes. <laughs> Let's, get... <laughs> Let's get into our review of... Spike Lee's 
she's gotta have it okay okay all right so this is the part where we would play the trailer <laughs> I but know. we're on live so <laughs> like what happens now and I don't have the I don't have it up real quick. I wish I had like a plate of chicken wings. I could just sit here for like two minutes and silently eat chicken wings. <laughs> oh, this! I'm glad you said that. Speaking of chicken wings. Speaking of chicken wings. <laughs> seriously, speaking of chicken wings. Um, I I, I ordered from um, um, Bonjon Korean chicken wings. Yeah. Oh my god. Good. Where's that? Uh, I don't know. There's they delivered to me. That's all, okay. I, that's all I know. And they were. It took an hour, but I got yeah. it within an hour, and it was it was so good. Oh yeah, I mean, there are a couple of really good Korean chicken wing spots in the city. Oh, so good. Oh, real quick. Yeah. Before we get to our review. Okay. Um, a recommendation from from one half of the Michelle Mission, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had talked about how, you know, we were both eager eh, to watch Altered Carbon on on right. Uh And and I had made mention that you know, you know, I didn't know if it, it, it was grabbing me, and that was because I was watching the first season. And someone had recommended Len just go into season two and just watch that, and you'll be fine. And I was hesitant on following that advice. But during my downtime, I followed that advice. And I sat and I, I fired up Altered Carbon and I watched it. I sat and watched it. And yes, you know, the driving force for, for me and for you getting through that is because Simone Nisic, you know, um, past guest on the show, is now a cast member on the show. So... She got me to the table, but I'm an Anthony Mackie fan. Yes, so, of course. So I was I was down with being with him, and then uh, also having gone to the show, I also became a huge fan of Renee Elise Goldsberry. Yes, sir. Who I did not know. Vince let me know. Yes, that she was in the original cast of, of Hamilton. Hamilton on Broadway. Let me tell you, I finished that. I finished season two. The show is good. It's good, Vince. It's a it's a fun action. There's there's, there's drama. There's special effects. There's sci-fi. It goes deep a little bit into like the whole psyche of you know you know your identity and and things. Um, you know, having never seen Renee Elise in Hamilton. I can only tell you that she is an ultimate badass and ultimate altered carbon. Simone does work. Anthony Mackie does work. Everybody does work in this show. It was it was a hit. I really really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's good. We were saying she was in at least one episode of of the Netflix show The Get Down. She was also in a great in a great episode. Um, have we talked about documentary now? No, 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 we haven't. She's on an episode of Documentary Now. Oh, really? Yeah, and, and she's pretty funny. Okay, she's showing off her chops. Yeah, yeah, so. I ain't mad at her. Yeah, I just haven't finished. I just, 
I, I was telling Lynn before we uh, start taping, me, me, and I looked up, like, first it was me and my wife, and now it's me, my wife, and my daughter. We're working through the good place. Mm. Mm. So we're, like, in the middle of season two, and 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 that has kind of gummed up all of my other television watching. Oh, Vince, 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 you got to get to Alter Carbon, man. I know. You got to get to Alter Carbon. You got to get to Tiger King. Look, <laughs> my King. nephew is driving me crazy with the Tiger King. Tiger King is another thing, though. Yes, I'm not. Even, I can't even tell you. It is another. another I know. Thing. I know. Please I know. Watch. Please watch it because I I have to talk to you about this. Okay, I'm on it. All right. All right. All right. Now let's get to our review of She's Got to Have It. We'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages. some other people out well then that's fine too i consider myself normal whatever that means some people call me a freak i hate that word i don't believe in it better yet i don't believe in labels but what are you going to do in my experiences i found two types of men the decent ones i know it sounds corny but if i didn't follow you i might not ever see you again. <laughs> you're right that does sound corny and the dogs I've never seen anybody who like to look at themselves more than you do. Don't you ever get tired? Never happened, baby. No. What? No. What? No. What? Just let me smell it. It seems that men are taught not to be in touch with themselves, with their true feelings, but the things that they do say. I'm everything that you need. You are tripping. One day you're gonna wake up in this bed and I'm gonna be long gone. You know, when I woke up this morning, I had a feeling I was having a slice you. You can't ask me first, I asked you. You never did have enough drive or ambition for me. It's about control. My body, my mind. Who's gonna own it, them or me? I am not a one-man woman. She's Gotta Have It, a 1986 American black and white comedy drama written, edited, and directed by Spike Lee and launched his directorial career. The film stars Tracy Camilla Johns, Tommy Redmond Hicks, John Canada Terrell. Yes, sir. Spike Lee himself also appearing in a very, in a very early appearance as Impatha Merkerson. Yes, she is. Doctor. Yes. The movie concerns a young woman played by Johns who is seeing three men and the feelings that this arrangement provokes. And this film was our collective selection for episode 199 of the Michelle Mission, but it is near and dear to the heart of one Vincent Williams. So Vince, what say you of Spike Lee's She's Gotta Have It? 
Well, well, to kind of circle back to what we were saying earlier, I don't remember when I first saw this because mm-hmm. I didn't see it in the movies. Okay. So, so I'm thinking it was on HBO or, or it seems like something that our local PBS affiliate would have run at some point. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but I remember watching it because, you know, I was a teenager. So I was in my parents' house and I was watching it. And I had never seen anything like this before. Like, like I really didn't. I, I think it's important for people who weren't there to understand that in 1986, I think a lot of the way that the city was presented mm-hmm. and certainly a, a, an urban landscape that Black people were in. Right was that it was disenfranchised, it was poor, it was violent, it mm-hmm. was just purely negative. Yes. Like, just purely negative. So just from the point of view that Spike Lee, as he has done throughout his entire career, created this Brooklyn that was beautiful, mm-hmm. this urban landscape that that people could thrive in and and be beautiful in was was shocking. I think these four main characters who inhabited this Brooklyn are 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 pitch perfect. I really do. I I, I think you, you know we 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 laughed about them, but John Canada Terrell is pitch perfect <laughs> as true. Greer, like he's this fully realized character that you know from the moment. He's introduced to us. You know, he's the, I think he's the third of her three suitors. Yes. That is introduced. Jamie's introduced. You know, Jamie says, you know, I I loved her. I told her I'd do anything she wanted to do. I just wanted to be with her. Mars is introduced. He talked about how fond she is. Mm -hmm. The whole film sort of situates Nora as this. No, I'm sorry, Nola, as this impossibly beautiful siren. Yes. The first thing Amused. Greer said. Hmm? Amused what? almost. Yes. The first thing Greer says is that I'm the best thing that ever happened to her. <clears throat> she was raw. I molded her. I made her. I, yeah. I, I. I maintain the scene before the moment before their sex scene where he takes all this time to fold his clothes before he gets in bed with her (laughs) is one of the greatest character moments in modern film. Everything you need to know about Greer is right in that moment. That's true. That's true. Mars Blackman. This is the first of many roles where Spike Lee basically plays Spike Lee. Mm -hmm. He plays his Spike Lee type. And in fact, except for Do the Right Thing, which I think Mookie is an actual character. I think all of his characters are a version of this Spike Lee type. What is really noteworthy to me about Mars is that this is somebody who you understand why she's with him. He's funny. He's charming. You get what she gets from him. Okay. Throughout the film, 
He's the funniest one. There's a moment in this, this time I watch it that I never caught before where he sits down with Jamie on mm-hmm. a bench mm-hmm. and Jamie starts to get pulled in. Yeah. Like they start talking about basketball and going back and forth and almost against his will, you see Jamie getting pulled in. Mm-hmm. Charged so that, by Mars. Pulled into Mars's orbit. Yes, yes. So that even though, you know, he, you know, he looks like Spike Lee in 1986, he's annoying, everything, you get it. And then there's Jamie, who, you know, Jamie is probably, in a lot of ways, the most controversial character in the film. For those of you who haven't seen it, spoiler, or perhaps trigger warning, Jamie sexually assaults her. I would say he rapes her. I'm going, even in the film... Uh, Nola says you almost raped me mm. but it's definitely sexual assault mm-hmm. and I think and, and Spike Lee has gone on record as saying he kind of he wishes he had to done it that way I think it's perfect I think Jamie is that guy you I think, think what is perfect I'm just kidding. I think Jamie sexually assaulting her is the perfect culmination of his characterization throughout the film I think Jamie is the ultimate, what we call now, the nice guy. Okay. Like the nice guy who always talks about being friend-zoned. He always talks about what he's owed. He always talks about women, you know, get the bad guy and this, that. Like all of that, all that sort of toxic masculinity, as we say. Mm -hmm. From the moment Jamie is introduced, there's this sense that comes from him that she owes him because he's nice to her because he's quote unquote a good guy right 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 in every moment in this film where she disagrees with him or she says basically i don't want i don't want what you want he there's 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 a real edge to him yeah and i like that characterization I like the fact that he has this sort of, he's very theatrical and he has this great voice. So you can see how somebody would get pulled in, but that's all there. And then there's Nola and I love Nola. Like, like I love Nola darling. I love the fact that this is a woman who is unapologetic about her wants and desires. Mm-hmm. I love that she is unapologetic about about boundaries for the most part you know as she says at the very end she slips up and says you know she's going to get with jamie but i love that the film ends with her acknowledging that that's not what she wants Mm. and it ends with her saying this is who i am and this is what i want so just all of that you know the characters i love this fully realized brooklyn i love the apartments like i actually made a note at one point that Nola's apartment is like a masterclass in set design. Okay. Like this is an apartment. Yeah. This is yeah. her actual apartment and the details that this is actually a place. There are dishes in the dish drain. There's a moment where the Scrabble board, where they played Scrabble, you see the Scrabble box and a mm-hmm. milk crate, mm-hmm. all this, like everything about it. The other thing that I really noticed or or I want to acknowledge, I don't think, I think because Mars Blackman became a thing so quickly. Yes. And Spike Lee's personality became a thing. 
I don't know how much we give this film credit for how polished it is for a first film. Spike Lee's direction, his brother David Lee's still photography, Ernest Dickerson's cinematography, his father's um, score. Yeah, his father Bill Lee. Bill Lee's score. This is an amazingly well put together film. Mm-hmm. Just as a film, whether from the beginning, I mean, the choice of the fonts for the credits, mm-hmm. like all of it is so polished mm-hmm. for a film that costs $175,000 to make. Right, right. That that you, that you I think it, it could be celebrated just for that. But, you, you know, like you said, I, I, I don't know, I don't even know how objective I can be. Like, I just love this film. Like, I love this film. I also am uh, and a am a fan of this movie. Um, having watched it again today, first of all, watching it again today, the first thing I realized was how much I missed Tracy Camilla John's voice mm. because. What I appreciate, never mind that the sh- that the movie, you know, like I spoke of in the beginning, feels totally different. Feels like it's it's from another time in its um, black black and white, you know, urban noir look, um, which is perfectly captured. In I agree, David Lee's photography and even more in Ernest Dickerson's uh, cinematography. So it feels like it's, you know, Brooklyn through the lens of late 1940s, 1950s neo-noir movement, which is Mm -hmm. breathtaking, Um, especially not, especially how the, the film celebrates the architecture of Brooklyn yeah. that is in all of the, the stonework in the buildings um, and even the architecture of the, the faces of Brooklyn. So th- it's there, but having Tracy Camilla Johns, you know, a darker skinned woman as your lead, but who also has a, a deeper register to her voice um, mm-hmm. with a slight rasp to it was to me, you know, my young ears when I heard it at that time, just something that just struck me as like, whoa, I haven't heard that before, you know? Um, and it was just piercing and like haunting to me. And she is a woman who, has not done much. Her her credits are slight and slight, yes. and slight as being kind. Um, and really hasn't been in front of the cameras for the last 20 years until she showed up in, in a cameo. No, I think she was in Red Hook Summer. Um, she's in Red Hook Summer playing an older, you know, Nola, more or mm-hmm. less. I think the, the character's role is Mother Darling. And then she shows up in, in, in a cameo on in the uh, television series uh, adaptation of She's Got a Habit that's on Netflix, right? Um, but really, she she's been gone for, about, for like almost or a little bit more than twenty years from the screen. 
Um, so I didn't realize how much I missed that voice. I missed her presence, you know? Um, I'm not going to say that, you know, I missed her from an acting standpoint, because to be fair, in this film, as polished as it is, I don't think any of the acting is, you know, world-breaking. But, sure. but, um, but it all fits in with the with the uh, the overall picture that Spike Lee is putting together. But just her presence on screen is captivating. And I really, really did miss that. Um, and I think that Hollywood is the, is, is, is more sorrowful that we didn't get more of her, you know, developing as an actress in more and more scenes, you know, in more and more roles after this. So this was a welcome return to watching her again, you know, blossom, blossoming all over again in front of my eyes. And then to watch Spike Lee, the director, and all of the, the chances that he's taking and the daring, you know, um, edits and directorial choices that he's making from having Mars Blackman ride from so far back into our shot and then even past the shot. So it was just like, like, wow, that's a, that, that is an entrance and a half, you know? Um, and then to cut in the middle of this, this comedy romantic drama for a full blown musical number. Yeah. In color. In color, yeah, beautiful, gorgeous, yeah, color. yes, and for this first time director to already in 1986 know that when you film a musical number with dancing, you show the entire dancer, yeah, you. you Give their whole body the stage of your screen to fill it up with. So, you know, you've heard how much of a student of film that he is. And you can tell that you can tell the difference in this movie between Spike Lee and Quentin Tarantino, between somebody who has studied film and who's somebody who has just watched a lot of film. Hey, how about that? You know what I mean? How about so, that? So that's and, and who knows that oh no i don't need you know member berries of finding songs from the 70s and 80s and 60s to bring people into the mood that i want in this scene no i can have my father create a whole original score for this movie and i'll know how to craft it within with the pictures that I am creating for you. That is a filmmaker. That is an auteur coming to life before your eyes. And that is uh, another, and probably one of the biggest things that I appreciated about this movie. That being said, even in 1986, there were parts of this movie that really struck me as like, ugh, mm -hmm. I, I'm not feeling this. The first thing is, as powerful a statement as it is 
for to have Nola, Nola Darling, oh, one of the best names ever. I know. To have her be such a fully actualized woman who is in control of not only her place in the world, but her sexuality in the world. For her to, in the midst of this film, to um, run back to Jamie or sure. to Jamie after being assaulted or raped, whatever, whatever, you know, framing you want to give it. To me, I thought was like, ooh, that feels like a bad, that's that's a bad stroke. Now, like, like I don't see, even in 1986, I don't see a woman doing it. And I don't and I I, I don't see a woman doing that so soon after it. Because right. you're not you're not left to believe that there is a stretch of time in between this happening. You know what I mean? Um, so and for her to also then give dialogue, give words to giving him a pass for it? Yeah. Like, nah, not nah, especially when you see that the movie is smart enough to show him at least a little troubled by it. Right. But then to have her basically give him the out. And, right. And then for her, and, and okay, so you, he's she's going to give him the out. But then she's going to walk away from him. And then to have the movie have him call her back. And yes. she goes back and walk away with him. Now, I know that there's a coda at the end of the film where she says, oh, it didn't last. And things got crazy. And things got crazy. But my eyes, that sounds tacked on. My eyes, that sounds like Spike Lee's sister, Joie Lee, getting in his ear like, bruh, you can't end it like that. Here's the thing, though. And you saying, and you saying, another thing, because I, I, I'm sorry, I got a bump on this. You saying that him being driven to that point of sexual assault is like in line with that character, character. through the whole film. Okay, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I, but I'll ride with you on that, especially when you pointed out to me how psychotic he was in his opening line to her, which, you know, I think he only gets over because he just looks like, you know, he doesn't look threatening. Right. There. Exactly. Because exactly. It's, it's every bit as much of a line as everybody else. He's just giving it with this Freddie Cocker radio voice. You know what I mean? So, but if you want to say that the end point for his character is that he does resort to that after being called leaving the bed with another woman and, and yes. you know over there i don't agree with it but okay but you can't tell me that the end end result of nola darling as she has been presented in this film is that when that happens she accepts it to the degree that she does i i think i think the reason i bought it is because so much of the film, you have Jamie situating himself as this good guy. Right. Like, he's the good guy. He's the one she should be, you know, he makes these big grand gestures. 
He's the romantic one. Yeah. And then there's also this sort of subtext where all of the characters, to some degree, say to Nola Darling that something is wrong with you. Mm -hmm. You know, all three of the men, to some extent, you know, say she's, you know, there's something wrong with you. Um, Joali is her roommate. Yeah. In this, you know, these wonderful passive aggressive moments mm-hmm. talks about it. Opal, I don't think is developed nearly as well as she should have been. Yeah, this movie and, in 2020, Opal's developed a lot more. Well, I think that's one of the great changes in the show. Yeah. Yeah. Like Opal is actually a character. Right. But to a character, each one kind of says to her, there's something wrong with you. Mm hmm. The great thing I love about, um, and I always mispronounce her name, Apatha. S. Apatha Murkison. S. Apatha Murkison's character as the psychiatrist is that the film itself definitively says that she's fine. Right. But everyone around her is saying there's something wrong with her. Mm-hmm. So I understand that moment of weakness where she says, and, and I think a lot of people say this. This was my fault. I called him over here. I led him on. He's a good guy. Yeah, but wasn't that... We're going to try she, goes, she goes sees the doctor before the assault. No, but remember, the doctor never says to her, you're fine. The doctor says to the camera and to the audience that she's fine. So I think that Nola has this bit of doubt about herself that I buy her trying to make this work for Jamie. And what you see is tacked on, I see as as something that another filmmaker wouldn't have put at the end. Like we've been talking about love stories, you and I for the past year, you know, couple of months, you know, um, basically orbiting around Django. Mm-hmm. But you think about how these films end. And even the best case scenarios, they end and there's a question mark. Right. So like, you know, I I love the way Love Jones ends. Right, right. Where the two of them say, we don't know how this is going to work. We don't know if this is even going to work. We're in different cities. But then the film goes off. Yes. And there's no guarantee they're together. I think there's a cut of She's Gotta Have It that ends in the park. Yes. With them trying to figure it out. And in that ending, I think I would be more on your side. But the fact that they come back to her by herself and she says, and this is a direct quote, shit got crazy. Yes. With Jamie. Based on the rest of the movie, I know what she means by that. No, I feel you on that. So I, I I like I buy it. I buy that characterization of her moment of I mean, Lynn, people have moments of weakness. And he's very much the guy that people sell all the time as the good guy. And it's only remember, this is 1986. Mm-hmm. It's only fairly recently. I was thinking about this earlier. I had I heard somebody say this. And, you know, I think, I mean, obviously it was a woman who said something like this. She said, if you really want to know a man as a woman, disagree with him. Hmm. See how he handles disagreement. Okay. Okay. Like everything is, and and to 
a scene in this film. Jamie is awesome. As long as things are going his way. That's true, because at the slightest provocation. Yes. Because when he walks in with her with Opal, nothing, Opal does nothing but open the door. Look. And he's already bent. Look, after that beautiful scene that we just talked about with Queen for a day, and he's in bed with her, and Mars calls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is that? Why didn't you tell him you were with me? I'm like, yo. Right, right. That's that dude. That's true. That's true. Because throughout the entire film, he's winning. Because one of my favorite scenes is after the Thanksgiving dinner, and they're That's right. all they're all like like just in her room or, or of a sort. Jamie is laying in bed with her. Yes. Greer and Mars are sitting on the side. Yes. And one by one, the those two eventually have to leave with Spike knowing how to play it for comedy, looking totally like Mars, putting on his big jacket, right the hood, the whole nine, picking her on the feet. Jamie is not like he's winning. Yes, but Jamie doesn't want to be winning. Jamie wants to be only. Right. That's true. That's and true. This, and that's not who she is. And I see. I agree. I agree. I one hundred percent agree with that. I just. I don't know. I don't know. I just. I guess. To me, it's like if you're going to celebrate her voice, if you're going to give this movie, you know, this strong voice of a black woman that you have not heard in in cinema ever in yeah. six or certainly few and far between. Yeah. And such, you know, I mean, if you're going to do that, then damn it, do it. And just right. go balls to the walls to it. And I think that there's a little bit of backtracking at the end there that that coda that's added on at the end, it, I know it it does wrap it up with her voice, with her strength, with her in bed by herself. And I with, think it humanizes her. It, yeah, I, I know, but I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. There was a part of me that it just rubbed me the wrong way. I, I'm, and it just, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It just it look. Just you, you and Spike Lee agree with each other. True. I disagree. I disagree with Spike Lee about his film. Right, because he he does say that he would do it different. Right. So so you know you're in good company. Now, I don't. Spike, Mars Blackman is a funny cat. Yes. He's funny. I don't see what she sees in Mars Blackman. You have never known a woman. And I'm asking you a question that I know the answer to. Okay. You have never known a beautiful woman dating some funny looking dude. And you've not gone, why is she dating him? And then when you get to know him, you say, okay, I get it. Um, <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay, okay, all fair right. Enough. Fair enough, fair enough. And I think Mars, again, is the only version of the Spike Lee character. 
that I get. That's true. Half pint in school days is Dap's cousin. <laughs> so he kind of has to deal with him. Giant in Mo Better Blues gets Bleak's mouth all busted up, <laughs> which makes complete sense. <laughs> Malcolm had to leave Shorty alone because he they were criminals together. That's true. That's true. Am I missing a version? Am I missing a version of the Spike Lee character? Um, like, like I think because I, I think he was like a, a a very low key version of that in Girl Six. Remember, he was like a neighbor. Oh yeah, like the right. baseball card. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember. But that annoying little person, that Spike Lee character. Mm-hmm. I love this one because I I completely get it. Yeah, I, I, okay, all right. I, I do agree that I think to the to. I do think that Mars is more realized as a character than Greer. I don't think Greer is a is a fully realized character. I think, and I think that's the reason why Greer is enters third. Okay, and I also think that's the reason why. Um, he has less to do in the film. Okay. But I think he pretty much is just this cipher of this, you know, <laughs> big, you know, bloated, slick back, you know, you know, ultra macho, you know, dude. You know what I mean? And And the shame of it is, is that he definitely has been playing that same role <laughs> you know what? I'm not even going to fight you. I just love Greer so much. He cracks me. Greer is so funny to me. When he calls Mars a chain snatcher, <laughs> I don't even know why you tolerate this chain snatcher. <laughs> oh, I love him so much. He, he, but you're right. He's one note. He's very one note. He's one note. Absolutely. He's one note. I actually, I mean, I have to catch up on um, the series because, you know, I wanted more from Opal, with Opal. I wanted to see more of that uh, relationship. Right. To me, that's where he drops the ball. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think Opal is the real shortcoming of this film when we talk about the characters mm-hmm. yeah i think i think that's where he drops the ball and i also think in using um Joie lee's character as the roommate as more of a sounding board right could have been there i mean to be fair she probably could doesn't need to be in the movie right but if she's going to be there i think she could have been used a little well bit. again i think you get the sense with that relationship and to a certain extent opal how complicated Nola Darling is. That's true. That's true. Like, like the thing I liked about Joali's character is that this is the one character in the film, allegedly, because I, I think you can read the scene together, this, her scenes a couple of different ways, mm-hmm. but she's the one character who's not attracted to Nola. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I and agree. And you realize that Nola is, is, is messy. Mm-hmm. Like she's a human being. Right. Like life is, though. Like, like life is. Most definitely. 
Most definitely. Um, uh, She's Got to Have It was Spike Lee's first movie. Yes. His very first film. And I'm curious in that seeing his filmography from there, um, do you think that the man who made, if you saw She's Gotta Have It, would you think that that director had Do the Right Thing in him? I would, because I think both films are about Brooklyn. Mm. Yeah. You know, I think Brooklyn takes takes the takes center stage mm-hmm. and do the right thing. Mm-hmm. But but I think what was was really uh like it, it was really sort of like ah for me when I watch it this time. I for, I always forget how much Brooklyn is a character in this film. Yeah. Like I think yeah. I forgot how much David Lee's photography played a role in this mm-hmm. film. Like like I think this movie has such a sense of place. Yes. That that I absolutely connect this I actually connect this to uh do the right thing and then you know what what I think is his other great New York film 25th Hour. Oh yeah, you keep saying 25th Hour. Like, I think these are great New York films by Spike Lee. What about Crooklyn? I think Crooklyn is more nostalgia. I think the nostalgia is is more than the Brooklyn. I got you. I got you. Like, Brooklyn doesn't even look like Brooklyn in, um, which Mo' Better Blues is Brooklyn, is just this kind of beautiful, you know, dare I say, Cosby-esque Brooklyn. I mean, but Brooklyn has all different shades, man. That's what makes Brooklyn one of the most beautiful places in the world. Yeah, no, no, no. I hear you. But but I think there's it's an actual place that you could live, and then it's sort of the ideal. Definitely. So I'll say this. He makes I, I, um I've always said if I could live any any other place besides Philadelphia, it would be Brooklyn. And he he cements it for me. Look, man. As a suburban kid watching this, I, I I had no idea the city could be that beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful! It, and really, it, no, not not Brooklyn, the city. Well, yeah, yeah, just just the city itself. I think, and you know, you never say never. I don't know how I could, like. I don't know how I could live in the suburbs. I know, and part of that is shaped by Spike Lee and and his whole aesthetic. It's a very sumptuous movie. It's a movie that, even though it is from 1986, it wears very well. Um, it ages well, and I think that's because of the the timelessness of its of its setting, of its score, which is breathtaking. Yeah. No, we use part of it for our show. We do. We do. <laughs> Nola song for our show, um, and in its uh, direction, and even to a degree in its acting. And it's not the best acting in the world, but it still fits. And it it, it, it all comes together to uh, make a movie that, you know, if she ain't gotta have it, I gotta have it. Right. As much as I still bump against the movie, I still love this film. Yeah, yeah. 
And, and you know, again, and, and we've talked about this before with um, other filmmakers' first films. I think it is worth noting the tools that Spike Lee had. Mm-hmm. You know, as you mentioned, Spike Lee at this point had an MFA in filmmaking. Yes. Like he was a filmmaker and he had this wonderful team yep. that he was working with. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you know, I think part of being an auteur is executing this vision. Right. Having this team around you. Right. And, you know, for his first, you know, four or five films, this team kind of stayed intact. And, and it starts here. It starts right here, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, I think it, I think it goes without saying, you would definitely recommend that people see. Oh, this, this, this is required viewing. This is required viewing. I, I think, I don't think it is hyperbole to say that when you talk about black film, there's before um, she's got to have it and there's after she's got to have it. This You're changed right. everything. You are absolutely right. This changed everything. Everything for black film and for film. And for film, exactly. And for film. Exactly. So, exactly. yeah, no doubt. All right. So that's and, and I'm assuming you would. Oh, yes. Go see this yeah. film. Go and, and, and see this movie because, like I said, it still evokes a conversation. There are, yeah. there, are there are conversations to have about Spike Lee's She's Gotta Have It, the film. And then you can go check out the series and see if he answers some of those. And see if he answers some of them. Yes. All right. All right. Before we tell you what we're, what's happening in our next episode, that you can't guess which one it is. <laughs> we invite all of your feedback. Email us at michellemission at gmail.com. Join the Facebook group. Like everybody out there, how you doing? I see all of you um, chiming in. And thank you for watching us on Facebook Live. This was a great time. Follow yes. us on Twitter, on Instagram, at um, Michelle Mission. Um, the Michelle Mission is available as a edited radio show every Saturday at 1 p.m. on WPPM, 106.5 FM, Philly Cam, People Power Media here in the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. And you can wake up with the Michelle Mission every Monday morning at 9 a.m. on WKDU, 91.7 FM, the voice of Drexel University. The Michelle Mission is also a proud member of the Podglomerate Podcast Network, Podglomerate Curated Podcast for your listening pleasure. Next week, Vince, it's episode 200. Episode 200. We're Look here. at us. We're here, and we will be taking you back in time to when Vince and I were at World Cafe Live, and we did our live presentation of our review of Shaft. Shaft. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, boy. That's coming your way. Bad mother. Don't hush your mouth. I'm just talking about Shaft. Well, do it to yourself. <laughs> we'll do it next week. Yes. Uh, so that's what's coming your way. And don't forget that on Thursday on the Michelle Mission stream, a very special spot and Jason as Vince and I will be reviewing Star Trek Picard for you as well. Until then, he's Vince. I'm Len. And in parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again.
Now it's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again.